this morning, um, we are going to be getting a, a new series uh, entitled Zest. And I know what you guys are thinking. I use that soap. I use that. That is a good, good, what should I, how should I say, personal hygiene product, right? Zest. We're going to be um, starting a series called Zest this morning. And um, the subtitle of this series is going to be Treasuring the Trueness of the Holy Spirit. So it's going to be a pretty in-depth, pretty lengthy study in the Holy Spirit. So before I begin this morning, I, I would like to ask you guys a question, and that is this. When you think about the Holy Spirit, what are maybe some of the first things that come to your mind? When you think about the Holy Spirit, anybody? Sorry? Power. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Whoa. Comfort. Mm. Guidance. Oh, we're getting all crazy theological on it now here. Oh, sorry. Raising the bar here. Third person of the Trinity. Where'd you learn that? Just kidding. All right, anybody else? Heart. Okay. Anybody? Come on. We all got opinions about who the Holy Spirit is. Wisdom. Okay. Advocate. Mmm, that's a good one too. I like that. Yeah. Dan. Friend. Absolutely. Yeah. Guide. Who said that? Yeah, guide, okay. Personal, personal, mm, okay. This is some good adjectives. These are really good. I love it, I love it. All right, anybody? Yeah. Inner voice, okay. Kind of like leading. Yeah, spiritually spiritually leading, yeah. Del, yeah. He is God. He is God, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we exhausted everyone's opinions here. Sandy. A drawer. Draws. Hmm, interesting. Okay, all right. Third person. That one has already said. Paraclete. Yeah. Go ahead. What's that? Okay. Okay. All right. I'm going to do one more. One more. Someone over here. Someone over here in the front row over here. Numa. Now you're getting all Greek on us. Presence. Okay. Anybody else over here? No? This is what we're going to do um, over, I, I, I'm going to say many weeks. Um, like the last series, we haven't, I didn't put a timetable on it. Not putting a timetable on this one. I don't have... Uh, I, I, we have a structure uh, that we're going to follow, but I, I don't necessarily have every single week broken out. So this is going to kind of be a, a series that we're going to look at um, for a considerable period of time because I think it is so critical for the church to understand the trueness of the Holy Spirit and treasuring the trueness of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that this series is necessary because 
Um, unfortunately, I've, I've, I've kind of looked out, and I know it's a recurring theme with me, but I'm, I'm very aware of, of the many practices that are happening within uh, the church body at large, spiritually. And I, and I look out, and, and, I, and, I, and I'm grieved at times um, at the way the church has either understood, um, used, and abused the Holy Spirit, or the idea of the Holy Spirit. And so my goal and our goal, hopefully this, with this series, is that we are ushered into um, an understanding of the trueness of the Holy Spirit and treasure that trueness of the Holy Spirit. And there's going to be a lot of ways in which we're going to talk about him and learn about him uh, so that our experiences are informed by truth. Right? Our experiences are not interpreted uh, sorry, the Holy Spirit is not interpreted by our feelings or our experiences, but our experiences must be interpreted and determined by the trueness of the Holy Spirit as we see him in Scripture. And it's when we abandon, and I'm going to talk about this more, but it's when we abandon our fidelity to the, to the Scriptures, which are, by the way, the third person of the Trinity's words, that's where we get in trouble. And that's where the Holy Spirit gets mocked and maligned. It is where the Holy Spirit gets misrepresented. And there's all kinds of things that happen, unfortunately, in the church with regards to the Holy Spirit that actually grieve the Holy Spirit. So we're going to talk about this in length um, over many weeks. But I want to start with this quote from A.W. Tozer. Anybody know who A.W. Tozer is? Yeah, A.W. Tozer. This is what he says. Worship is pure or base. As the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. Just listen to these words. And the most portentous fact about any man or woman is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. And this is, this is where it really comes down to right here. We tend, and this is true of all of us, we tend by a secret law, okay? A law in our own heart, a law in our own being, something that governs us. We're governed by this, um, this view. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. <laughs> we, as a secret law, I'm sorry, that, that does, that's, man, that's not the same font I used when I made it. But anyway, I don't know what happened there. But um, we tend by a secret law of the soul, something within us intrinsically wants to form an image of God and the Holy Spirit based on our own thoughts or our own ideas or our own desires. And we are unwilling at many times to be led by the truth of the Holy Spirit's words in Scripture. So that is the danger for every believer is that we construct God and the idea of the Holy Spirit in our own way. And we know that God has forbidden us to do that. But we must 
we must encounter and we must come aware, become aware of the trueness of the Holy Spirit in all of his dynamics. And in order for us to worship God in spirit and in truth, we must understand this labor to be one of, of great importance for our Christian lives. And so that's what we're going to do. So our view of God is the foundational reality of what we think about God. And it determines everything we believe about the Holy Spirit. So what we think about God or our view about God determines what we believe. So in other words, in order to believe in the trueness of the Holy Spirit, we need to have a true view of the Holy Spirit. Not one that is determined by our own thinking or our own views or even of the opinions of, the, of, of other spiritual people. There's all kinds of opinions out there about who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit does, how he works, his dynamics, and what he does and how he operates. But that is not what we are subjecting our view of the Holy Spirit to. And, and, and let me just say this, you shouldn't be subjecting your view of the Holy Spirit based on what I say, even though I am up here speaking to you. You're not to base your view of the Holy Spirit on my own opinion, okay? I am just a man trying to expound the word of God and trying to draw us into the truth of who God is by his word. So we must understand that the view of the Holy Spirit must be determined by something outside of oneself. Okay? And there's only one external thing that is up to the task of doing that. And that's what we're going to talk about both this week and next week. So as we embark on this new journey through the scriptures, this is my desire that this study would help us recover a high view of the Holy Spirit. A high view of the Holy Spirit. For some of us, this study may introduce us for the very first time to the dynamic zest of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit works with tremendous vitality. He, he's, he works and moves with this idea of the spirited enjoyment. Uh, everything that the Spirit does in our lives, everything that He works and everything He accomplishes, He does with this, this, this uh, overwhelming idea of enjoyment and vitality and enthusiasm. This is how He works, and this is how the Scriptures depict Him as working. And so we are going to sort of dis discover the zestfulness of the Holy Spirit through this study. And we are going to hopefully uh, be moved into this place where we treasure the trueness of who he is. So for some of this, this study may introduce us to the very, for, for the very first time to this, the zest and the zeal of the Spirit in all that he does. And for others, it may serve as a reminder of who he is. Maybe for some, it may serve as sort of, or maybe I should say, it may introduce you to the qualities and the dynamics and the aspects of the Holy Spirit that may have grown unfamiliar to you. We all need to be reminded consistently of who the Holy Spirit is, what he does, and how he does it. My hope that we would recover 
the trueness of the enthusiasm of his personhood. The Holy Spirit is a person. In a couple weeks, we'll talk about what that means. He's not a force. He's a person. So my hope is that we recover the trueness of this idea of him as a person, enthusiastically carrying out every command and every plan of God the Father. That we would see the zeal of his purposes. That he is diligently devoted to the plan and purposes of God and carries them out with perfectness. That we would recover the trueness and the vigor and the vitality of his work. The Holy Spirit is working in each one of us. If we have put our faith in Christ, if we have heard the gospel and have received the gospel and are living by faith in Christ, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And that spirit is working in you with a tremendous sense of vigor and vitality, accomplishing many things for you in your life. And that is also what we're going to think about and study and understand throughout this series. I think that's Evie out there. She's not happy right now. Can you hear that? So our goal and aim is to diligently seek and savor the trueness of the Holy Spirit as our understanding of the Holy Spirit is enlarged. Our love for the Holy Spirit abounds and our worship of the Holy Spirit is hoisted to the heights of praise. The Holy Spirit is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be worshiped. He is worthy to be honored as he is God in his own personhood. So we will not arrive at this understanding of trueness by looking within. We will not understand the dynamics and the trueness and the goodness and the vigor and the vitality of the Holy Spirit and all that he does and everything that he works in us by looking within ourselves. There is something much greater that we appeal to when thinking about how to view and understand the Holy Spirit. And that is his very words. We are to look to the inspired, revealed words of the Holy Spirit to understand the trueness of who he is. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So my first heading is this, if you're taking notes. Truth defines the Holy Spirit. This is not your personal truth. This is not your inward truth. This is not some revealed truth that you have come up with and have constructed and now you are trying to somehow impose on the person of the Holy Spirit. This is not truth that defines the Holy Spirit. The truth that defines the Holy Spirit is the revealed truth, the objective truth that the Holy Spirit has actually spoken. So it would make sense for us to be guided and to be constrained and that the Holy Spirit would bring parameters to his definition and his character and his work through his words. Right? So truth defines the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, if some of you don't know, is the primary author of Scripture. 
The Holy Spirit is the primary author of Scripture. We believe that the Holy Spirit expires the Word of God and he inspires men to write it down. When we, when we talk about inspiring, what we're saying is that the Holy Spirit motivates through enthusiasm the men that wrote the words of God down and are canonized and are given to us in the scriptures. But the Holy Spirit both expires and inspires because expiring the word of God means to breathe out. When you expire breath from your body, you are breathing something out, right? And when you inhale, we don't necessarily use the word inspire, we use inhale, right? We inhale, we breathe something in. Well, the Holy Spirit exhales or expires the word of God. He is the one who is solely tasked to do this. So he has breathed out the very words of God because he is God. And he breathes it out and inspires men to write it. In so doing, this is so critical. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He tasks the truth. You've got to hear this. The Holy Spirit tasks the truth, the word of God, to provide theological and spiritual boundaries. Okay? The Holy Spirit expires the word of God, inspires men to write it. We now have it in its form. We now believe that this is the sufficient and all-knowing, revelatory um, self-testimony of the very God we worship, the uncaused being, the one has caused everything to come into creation by the power of his word. This is what we see to be true and believe to be sufficient and closed and this is what we have to understand is that the Holy Spirit tasks the truth to provide theological and spiritual boundaries for our life. In essence, the truth defines who he is and what he does. Now, I want to park here for a moment because I want us to see some texts that really explain this. So have your Bibles this morning with you. I want you to turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, 16 to 21. I will not get through all of this this morning, um, so we're going to break this up into two parts. But I want you all to turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, 16 to 21. This is what the Apostle Peter writes and he writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is what he says. For we did not follow, this is so good, cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We didn't follow clever, clever myths, ideas, speculations, wild tales, stories, about Jesus Christ that aren't true. When we brought to you the truth, we did not deliver you some made-up story that was cleverly devised for you to believe. No, this is what he says. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God, the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. 
we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. We were with him on the holy mountain. What is Peter referring to here? Anybody? Yes, awesome. Transfiguration. This is where Jesus is transfigured. His glory is revealed. For all of you guys that are in our life group about the hypostatic union, right? This is where we see Jesus' divine nature appear in glory, even though he was completely human and totally human and carried a human nature. He also, at the same time, simultaneously has a divine nature. And we see his divine nature being shown, right, to the apostles, to Peter, uh, to Peter, John, and blanking out, James, thank you. Peter, John, and James. And we see Elijah and Moses on each side of him, right? This is what Peter is referring to. He was an eyewitness of Christ. He did not have to follow myths and stories and made-up tales, why? Because he was an eyewitness of his majesty, particularly when he was on the mountain with him and he was transfigured. So let's move on. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. What does he mean by the prophetic word? He doesn't mean a random prophetic word that someone gives you about your future. What is he referring to here? He's referring to Christ. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Why? Because all of the prophetic words given in the Old Testament pointed to Christ. So he was sitting there witnessing the majesty of Christ and understood through this experience that all of these prophetic words from Moses to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Malachi, all of it was pointing, as Jesus said in Luke 24, to him. So he says, this prophetic word that had not come to pass, that our fathers trusted in, trusted God in, and believed God for, now we see it brought to its fulfillment, and he's standing right in front of us. He then says this. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by who? The Holy Spirit. Here we have evidence of the Spirit's inspiration, an expiration of the word to men as he, he inspires them to write it. We see that the truth of God's word is sourced in the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is in some third person of the Trinity trying to somehow live within the confines of the word, right? That, that the Holy Spirit is not in some way trying to honor or glorify God by, 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 by being constrained by the word. No, the Holy Spirit gives us the word. And, and by definition, he, his word defines who he is. So that is why we must look to the truth in order for us to be able to form this correct and true view of the Holy Spirit. Look with me in Mark chapter 7, 9 through 13. 
This is a little less obvious, but I want to go there, talk about this for a moment. Okay. This is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, the teachers of the law uh, in his time. Uh, sorry, we're going to start in verse 8. This is what he says to them. He says, you leave the commandments of God and hold to your own traditions of men. In other words, these Pharisees and teachers, they took God's word, they took his law, his commandments, his precepts, everything that the Jewish nation Israel would live by and, li and obey as worship to God. He says, you leave that very word for your own traditions. In other words, they had made up their own laws and their own traditions, and they sort of created this hedge for Israel that even if they would not uh, disobey these traditions, they wouldn't even come close to transgressing the law. He says, you have taken the very law of God, you have written it off, and you have put your faith in your own traditions that you have created. This is what he says. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. They leave God's commands, they leave his word, and they follow their own way. Now watch this language. For Moses said, watch this, who said this? Moses. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, watch this, but you say, if a man tells his father or mother or his mother, whatever you have been gained from me is Corbin, we'll talk about it in a moment, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. Look at what Jesus, how Jesus uses God, or sorry, God's commands and Moses' words simultaneously. Was Moses God? No, Moses was a man, right? For Moses said, out of Moses' mouth came what? The word of God, the, uh, God's commands. He says, for Moses said, and then in the next verse, or sorry, in the verse above it, he says, you've rejected the commandment of God. So you've rejected God's commandment. How did God's commandment come to you? Through the mouth of Moses. Is Moses God? No, Moses is a man. Moses only spoke how? Through the carrying along of the Holy Spirit. This is really interesting. See, Jesus said, you're getting out of taking care of your parents by giving, by pledging everything you own to the temple. That's essentially what the law said. They made up this tradition and said, hey, you are, you are um, not obligated to keep the law of Moses and care for your parents when they need to be cared for if you pledge all of your treasure to the temple when you die. So they've made a tradition and a commandment that on the surface honors God, but they've actually left the commandment because they won't honor their mother and father, which is what God had commanded them to do. But here we see God speaking through Moses by the Spirit, okay? Acts chapter 1. Let's go here for a moment. I want to lay this basis down, guys, for the next couple weeks because I think it's so critical to see what the Scriptures say about the relationship between the Scriptures, God's Word, and the Holy Spirit. 
And we, we must understand this dynamic, this, this, this relationship between the two in order for us to really treasure the trueness of the Spirit. Okay? So Acts chapter 1, verse 16 says this. Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of God or by the mouth of David concerning Judas who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. So David prophesies Judas's rebellion to Christ and Peter is reminding them as he's preaching the gospel for the very first time in Acts chapter 1. Actually, I shouldn't say that. He's, he's preaching or he's explaining this to the disciples and all of those who are gathered in the upper room before the Holy Spirit comes, right? So he says to them, guys, you have to understand this has all been prophesied. Judas's rebellion has been prophesied. How is it prophesied? Through David. Is David God? No, David's a man. How does David prophesy about Judas rebelling against Christ? How does he do that? By being carried along by the Holy Spirit. Last one. Here we go. And you're thinking, okay, Chad, this is all New Testament evidence you're giving me here, even though it's referring to the Old Testament. This is all New Testament evidence. Let's go back to the Old. Ezekiel. I don't have any markers, so here it's going to take me a second. Ezekiel. If you guys want to turn with me there, um, I believe it's he's right after Jeremiah. Judged through their deportation to Babylon. God used Nebuchadnezzar and the nation of Babylon for his own purposes to judge his people for their rebellion against him. Listen to what he says. This is his call. And he said to me, being God, son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, watch this, the spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. How is it that Ezekiel prophesies the word of God? It is because the Spirit of God enters him and gives him the capacity to do it. Let's go down to verse 8. I want to finish here. Same chapter, verse 8 through 10. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. And this is God speaking to Ezekiel. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Now you have to understand something. Ezekiel is in Babylon. Ezekiel was carried away in the second deportation. Does any of you are aware of some of the history of, of that whole that whole exile, there were three separate deportations. Nebuchadnezzar came and took some people. Uh, he came back, took some more. The king, Jehoiakim, rebelled against him again. And then he came in the third one and just destroyed the temple, destroyed the city, destroyed everything. Ezekiel is deported in the second, uh, the second one. So he's in Babylon 
prophesying this right now. He's in Babylon and God is calling him right now to prophesy and to preach to his people to turn their hearts back to God. This is what he says. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Oh my goodness. Eat what I give you. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. I'm putting the very words of God in your mouth. Is it not like when Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but by what? Every word that comes from the mouth of God. We are to be satiated by the word of God. We are to engage in heaping spoonfuls of the word of God. This is such a beautiful picture of how God speaks to his people. This is such a beautiful picture about how God brings life to his people. It is through his very word. He says, eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me. And behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me. And it had writing on the front and on the back. And there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. But God says to him, open your mouth and eat my word. Ingest it. Take it in. Let it give you life. Let it give you fullness. Let it satisfy your hunger. That is so important for us this morning. So here's the bottom line. It is inconceivable to separate the word of God from the spirit of God. You can't do it. You cannot separate the two. They are not two distinct elements, but they are intrinsically connected relationally together. As you speak words out in conversation, are those words attributed to anybody else but you? Well, unless you're quoting somebody. Right? When you speak words, those are your words. You cannot separate yourself from the words you speak. You may be able to take them back. You may be able to regret. You may be able to think again. You may be able to come back around and say it a different way. But those are your words. Those are your words. So it is with the word of God. The word of God is from the spirit of God. Why? Because the spirit of God employs the word of God to bring definition and interpretation of himself. That is so critical when we're thinking about how we are to experience and live with the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. His word defines who he is, what he does, and how he does it. The Holy Spirit, let me just say this, it's folly to say the Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and however he wants. That's folly. The Holy Spirit cannot do whatever he wants, and he cannot do it however he wants, why? Because the Holy Spirit has constrained himself by defining himself through the word, through his word. So we cannot sit here and say 
The Holy Spirit can just do whatever he wants. God cannot do whatever he wants. God cannot violate his own character. God cannot go back on his own word. God cannot step and live outside of his defined parameters in the way in which he has revealed himself to us. And that is crucial for our personal experience with God. That is how we test everything that we experience and hear and watch and see. Everything, right? So the Holy Spirit willingly defines himself by his own words unable to act in such a way that would violate his word. How can God violate his own word? How can the Holy Spirit act outside the defined parameters of his character? He cannot, for there he ceases to be God. Do we have the PowerPoint? No, is that gone? Okay. Um, so the Holy Spirit is unable to act in such a way that would violate his word. It would be a misrepresentation of his own character. In other words, we go to the word of God for the Holy Spirit to tell us who he is. We go to the word of God in order for the Holy Spirit to tell us who he is and how he works. And we would do well to pay attention to his words as it provides sufficient means for our knowledge of him and experience with him. Let me say that again. We would do well to pay attention to his words because they provide sufficient means for our knowledge of him and experience with him. That's where I'm going to end this morning. <laughs> I'm just looking at the clock and we've got uh, some celebrating to do for RJ and Nikki this morning. So that's where I'm going to end this morning. Um, but we're going to pick this back up uh, next Sunday. And I think that I'll get through uh, sort of this intro part uh, next Sunday. And then we're going to launch into really uh, seeing how the scriptures and the breadth and the width of the scriptures really give definition to the Holy Spirit. But this, this is what we're going to talk about next Sunday if, if you guys are going to be here. If you guys, um, you know, if you, if, if, if any way you want to be thinking about what we talked about this morning. Um, what we're doing over these first two periods or these first two messages um, is really understanding trueness boundaries and that was sort of the, the the topic of the of the sermon this morning it is defining the boundaries of trueness it is defining the boundaries that keep us hemmed in to the trueness of the holy spirit right so next week this is what we're going to talk about we're going to talk about how truth informs understanding and then we're going to talk about how truth informs our experiences and then lastly, I think we'll get through it. Um, we're going to talk about how we are a holy habitation for God. And the responsibility we have to God, considering we are a holy habitation of God. So that's what we're going to look at. How truth informs um, understanding of the Holy Spirit and how truth informs our experiences with the Holy Spirit. So this is going to be, like I said, kind of our intro as we launch into this uh, a beautiful study about what the Holy Spirit has said about himself in his own words. Amen? Amen. Let's stand this morning. Um.